Hey everyone, great to be with you today. As you can see, I'm coming to you from a different kind of place than we typically do on Sunday mornings. I'm actually in one of the office buildings off of Route 128 in Burlington. I'm surrounded by cubicles and conference rooms, familiar territory for many of you. I'm coming to you this way because we're going to be talking about our working lives today, about what it means for God to be with us when and where we work. But I realize your workplace could look nothing like this. I could just as easily be coming to you from a, a factory or a warehouse or a store or a restaurant or a school, a medical center, a construction site, a military base, all kinds of places. And the irony, of course, is that many of you aren't even working in those places right now because of COVID-19. So I could also be coming to you from your home office or your kitchen table or your walk-in closet wherever it is you have set up shop during these days of COVID-19. I think many of us would probably say that our work feels harder these days for all kinds of reasons. For those of us working at home, the lines between work and life have become blurred, so it feels like we're always working. And working without all the personal interactions with teammates that brings joy and life and, and texture to our working lives. For those who are working out in the field, you first of all have to deal with all the difficulties of our current environment, wearing masks and following all these elaborate protocols. But you also live with the daily risk of getting sick or bringing something home. And I also realize that for many, there is a sense of uncertainty as to whether your job or your workplace will still be here three or six months from now. They're telling us that uh, right now, Massachusetts has one of the highest rates of unemployment in the nation. And understand too, when I talk about work, I'm not just talking about work we get paid for. I'm talking about all the work we do just, just to make it in this world. Maintaining our homes, putting meals on the table, raising our children, caring for extended family members, managing retirement. You've probably heard the one about the retiree who says, when I wake up in the morning, I've got nothing to do. And when the day is over, I've only done half of it. <laughs> Whatever stage of life you're in right now, you spend a good part of your day working. And often that work feels difficult and tedious and draining, especially in these days. So I reached out to a handful of people from our congregation who work in a variety of settings just to learn a little bit about what their working lives are like these days. A police officer says, Honestly, I'm a bit burnt out. The current environment we have seen develop around public safety in general and police in particular, coupled with the COVID-19 challenges impacting our daily work, has been difficult. A doctor says that he finds his patients more anxious and fearful than ever, wanting more than ever to hear words of hope and assurance, but he realizes he doesn't have the power to, to assure them that everything's going to be okay because we just don't know. A young mother is trying to care for her three children while working remotely full-time while recovering from COVID-19. And when she heard that uh, school was going to be online again for the fall season, she nearly burst into tears. And I know that because that young woman is my daughter. A first responder gets to the heart of the topic we want to go after today. 
He writes, if there's anything I can personally say, COVID-19, piggybacked with all the social unrest, has really challenged me as a Christian. COVID-19 was initially stressful solely on the uncertainty that surrounded it and the stress brought on by the fact that you could be responsible for bringing it back home to the family or another coworker. But the current social climate on top of it has stirred up a lot of worry and anger and disappointment. He goes on to say that all of this has him feeling more distant from God than ever and that he's finding it harder and harder to pray. So what does it mean for God to be with us at work, especially in these challenging times? So far in this series, we've learned that God is with us when things go wrong, when our family falls apart, when uh, we're facing temptation. And that's good to know, but those tend to be dramatic moments in life when we're almost forced to, to turn to God and depend on Him. What about the ordinary moments? What about the daily grind? When nothing dramatic is happening, when we're just doing our jobs, trying to get by, waiting for the weekend to come, which often doesn't even feel any different than the rest of the week anyway. Is God with us in places like this? And if He is, what does He want from us? And what can we expect from Him? Those are the questions we'd like to go after as we continue our study in the life of Joseph, one of the most compelling characters in the Scripture. We're going to pick up his story today in Genesis chapter 40, which we just heard uh, in a creative storytelling format so beautifully. So let's take a closer look at the story. And I'm going to take a page from Pastor Adam's message last week and offer you three truths, three maxims for experiencing God's presence at work. Let's begin with the opening verses of chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Well, as they say on TV, previously on God With Us, we saw that Joseph is the favored son of the patriarch Jacob, whose dreams of greatness have caused his brothers to hate him and, and sell him into slavery. He lands in Egypt, where he becomes the head butler for a high-ranking Egyptian official named Potiphar. And for a while, things are going well, but, but when he refuses the advances of Potiphar's wife, he finds himself falsely accused and, and thrown into prison. And that's where we find him here in chapter 40. Now the fact that this was the king's prison tells us that this is a place where political prisoners were held. So don't underestimate the roles of chief cupbearer and baker. They weren't just the top chef and the flashiest bartender in the kingdom. These were trusted advisors and confidants to Pharaoh. They weren't just putting food and drink on his table. They were ensuring that no one was trying to poison him. So these are men with significant influence. And we're told that they offended the king. Now I'm guessing that didn't mean they just served him a lousy meal or some bland wine. The fact that the two of them were tossed into prison suggests that they were probably suspected of some kind of a conspiracy against the king. What I want us to notice in these opening lines is this phrase, 
in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now remember, the writer of Genesis is a master storyteller. And we've already seen how important every detail is to the story. That they're included there on purpose to call our attention to important moments. What the storyteller wants us to recognize here is that these two officials didn't just happen to land in the same prison as Joseph. God was there working behind the scenes to bring these three men together. Not only that, the writer goes on to point out, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. Again, not an accident, not random chance. The captain may have thought he was the one making the assignments, but God is actually overseeing everything that happens here. And then there's an interesting phrase. And he attended them. In some translations, the word actually reads, he served them or he ministered to them in prison. So our first biblical truth, our first maxim for sensing God's presence at work is to recognize that no matter where you work, God is already there. No matter where you work, God is already there. You see, we know from the rest of the story that God has a mission for Joseph in Egypt, a mission that's going to require him to take a place of leadership in Pharaoh's court. And so here we're told that God is, is already at work in Egypt, in Pharaoh's court, and in the king's prison, that he's turning every action and reaction towards his good purposes. And I believe a similar thing is true in our working lives. Scripture tells us that God is present everywhere. Theologians use the word omnipresent. God is not only present everywhere, he's working everywhere to accomplish his purposes. Which means wherever we work, in an office building, or a factory, or a store, or a school, or a hospital, or in our own homes, God is already there. He's already at work to accomplish something good in your life, in the lives of the people you're working with and for, the community and the industry that you're a part of. You might uh, think of it this way. Uh, no, matter, no matter how early you get to the job site, God is already there. He's laying out the work orders for the day. Now, let's face it, work can feel awfully mundane sometimes. We can feel like we're toiling in a way in obscurity like we're cogs in the machine. I mean, does anybody know we're here? Does anybody know we're in the third cubicle from the end halfway down? Does anybody understand that we're working our full heads off down here? Well, it turns out God knows. God's there. Whatever decisions landed you in that place on that job, whether they were your decisions or someone else's decisions, whether they were wise decisions or foolish decisions, God's purposes are grand enough to encompass those decisions and to work with them toward his good purpose for your life and others. Whatever assignment your boss or your customers have for you that day, God is actually overseeing the assignments for the day. And if you should be out of work right now, if you're looking for work, sending resumes out into cyberspace, wondering if, if anybody's seeing them or if they're just lingering in someone's inbox somewhere, God sees them. God knows. God's not only going ahead of you to the next place, He's actually with you now in the looking. 
He is forming and shaping and preparing you for what's next. So, no matter where you work, God is already there. It's our first maxim. The second is going to unfold for us here in the next few verses, chapter, verses 5 through 8, but let me give it to you up front so you can listen for it. No matter who signs your paycheck, you really work for God. Let me show you what I mean. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now don't miss that little phrase, after they'd been in custody for some time. The writer wants us to feel how long a time it has taken for these things to unfold. Now, we don't know the specific timeline of Joseph's sojourn in Egypt, but scholars tend to think that he, that he was in Potiphar's household for maybe as long as 11 years, and that he was in prison, we're told, for at least two years. So we're talking about 13 years of Joseph's life, his career, spent in relative obscurity, working hard and working well, with not a whole lot to show for it, except a false accusation that lands him in prison. Thirteen years, that's a long daily grind. And many of us, I guess, are finding ourselves doing the same job, in the same place for a long time, day after day. And, and after 140 days of this pandemic, this shutdown is feeling like a long time, with, with no real end in sight. Now let's continue. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's official, who were in custody with him in, his, in the master's house, Why do you look so sad today? Now notice, Joseph is paying attention to his fellow prisoners, or his co-workers, if we can put it that way. He noticed that they were dejected, which means he was in the practice of watching them and observing them. But he not only noticed their dejection, he asks them about it. Why do you look so sad today? So he took an interest in their lives and took initiative in, in reaching out personally to them. We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Now, notice a few things going on here. First, Joseph boldly, but appropriately, introduces God into the conversation. Do not interpretations belong to God? Now, we talked about dreams a couple of weeks ago. We know that dreams were very important in, in, in ancient times. They were believed to have predictive powers. So, so the ability to interpret dreams was a highly valued skill. In fact, archaeologists have found ancient manuals designed to help people interpret dreams, a sort of ancient equivalent of dreams for dummies or something like that. And so Joseph immediately points prisoners towards God. Do not interpretations belong to God? It suggests to us that, that Joseph had this constant God awareness about him. 
that no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, God was on his mind, the back of his mind, maybe in the forefront of his mind. And we've seen this before, back in chapter 39, when Potiphar's wife makes advances to him in that awful, tempting, confusing moment. What does Joseph say? How could I do such a thing and sin against God? God is right there in, in his awareness in that moment. Now, as we've seen all along the way, there's very little visible evidence to Joseph that God is actually with him. There, there are no signs, there's no miracles, there's no prophets, there's no voices from the heavens. In fact, after all that's gone wrong, Joseph could easily have come to the conclusion that, that God had abandoned him there in Egypt. But Joseph seems to have cultivated this sense that God was with him always, wherever and wherever he was. We said a few weeks ago, sometimes we live like God is with us even when it doesn't feel like God is with us. And sometimes we work that way too. It's one of the reasons many of us spend time with God in the mornings, before we head into our work day. A way of inviting God into our day, preparing our hearts and minds for whatever's coming. Sometimes I'll pray my way through the day, the appointments, the meetings, the tasks that are waiting for me that day. Some people like to use their commute as a time to prepare for work. They might listen to Christian music or to a podcast or, or even pray out loud as they drive down the highway, eyes open, preferably. So Joseph cultivates this God awareness in his heart. And when he has the opportunity, he points people toward God. But now notice what he says next. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. Joseph sees himself as God's representative, God's agent in that workplace. Talking to him, Joseph says, is kind of like talking to God. So Joseph may be subject to the prisoner of the, of the guards. He may be assigned to attend to these two prisoners. But Joseph understands he really works for God. God is calling the shots here in his life. He is the hands and feet and eyes and ears and even voice of God to the people he's living and working with. So no matter who signs your paycheck, you really work for God. You may not be gifted at interpreting dreams, but God has granted you skills and wisdom, talent, life experience. That is incredibly valuable to the people you're working with, the people you're working for, and the broader community that you're trying to serve. All the, all the physicians that I heard from had a sense that in addition to the medical care they were providing for people, that they were also there to provide encouragement and, and comfort to frightened, hurting people. They saw themselves as instruments of peace in the middle of a pandemic. But not just doctors. I, heard from a public school teacher who finds that even though she's not able to, to publicly proselytize at work and is careful about that, she finds that her coworkers are remarkably open and appreciative when she offers to pray for them during a hard time. And because she's been a capable and caring teammate, she's earned the right to, to speak and pray into their lives. 
I heard from managers who find that in these days of working remotely, when they're not able to physically be with their teammates, they're paying special attention on those Zoom meetings to everyone in the box, trying to look for signs of weariness or fatigue in any of their faces. And they'll often begin their meetings by going around the screen and asking everyone to check in, to give an opportunity to share what's going on in their lives. A senior executive in a large organization told me that he's been taking some of the messages that we've been offering on Sundays through the pandemic and through the, the season of racial unrest, and he's been repackaging them in a way that, allow, that he's able to share with his, with his team and his, and his co-workers. He says, every day I begin by noting the question that guides my thinking. What does my faith compel me to do? I've shared my faith more openly and more deeply in the past three weeks than the previous 15 years in my time here. The response and reactions I've received have been overwhelming and I think would never have happened in regular times. Each of these workers has come to understand that no matter who writes their paycheck, they're working for God. They are God's agents in their particular field or industry. And that's equally true for those of us who work at home or, or who get no paycheck at all for the things that we might be doing. And it's a truth that we explicitly find expressed in the New Testament when Paul, who was himself a prisoner, writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, no matter where you work, God is already there. No matter who writes your paycheck, who signs your paycheck, you really work for God. And the third and final thing I'd like to offer you is, is hinted at here in this passage, but it's, it's central to the larger Joseph story, and it's this. No matter how tedious the day is, there's always something bigger going on. No matter how tedious the day is, there's always something bigger going on. Now, as we heard in our storytelling, both Joseph went on to interpret both of these men's dreams, and he got them both exactly right. Unfortunately, it only ended well for one of them. We have to assume that uh, the other one the, was found guilty of whatever crime he had been charged with. And so we see that Joseph is acquiring and, and honing this skill here of dream interpretation. In fact, he's, he's acquiring quite a skill set during his time here in Egypt. Back in Potiphar's house, he, he, he's, he's placed in management. He learns how to manage people and time and resources and events. Now here in prison, he learns how to work with people, how to care for people, and he learns how to interpret dreams. Add to that his strong work ethic, his loyalty and his integrity, and Joseph is building a pretty impressive resume that ought to open doors for him in the future. So he says to the cupbearer who's about to be released, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this position. I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph has reason to believe that this is his big break. Surely God will honor his hard work and reward him with freedom and new opportunity. 
but listen to how the chapter ends. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And as we're going to find out, Joseph spends the next two years languishing in prison, likely wondering if God has forgotten him, too. And I'm guessing that many of us can identify with Joseph's work experience at this point. Maybe for you, <laughs> your workplace feels like a, like a dreary dungeon. Maybe you've been at it for a long time with little recognition or reward. Maybe, maybe you're looking for work and you've gotten your hopes up many times that this might be your next opportunity only to be disappointed again. And so there's a sense there's a sense in which all of us can identify with Joseph because we've been in this pandemic, this shutdown, for five months now. And for most of us, no matter what our work looks like, it, it feels harder now. It's less fun. It's more of a grind. A grind of Zoom meetings and remote learning and email checking. And we don't know how long it's going to go on. And we don't know what the finish line is. And so it can be hard to believe that God is really with us at work in times like these. But that's when we need to remember that this is not the end of Joseph's story. The cupbearer has forgotten Joseph, but God has not. And when the time is right, God will jog that cupbearer's memory. Joseph will be remembered, he'll be released, and he will rise to a position of great influence in Egypt where he will go on to save many, many lives. And it's the skills and the character that he's developing over these 13 years in the daily grind of managing a household in prison that are preparing him for that future role. Joseph didn't know it, but something bigger was going on. And the same thing is true in our lives as well. We don't know how God might be using us in the lives of the people we interact with someday. We don't know what kind of a resume or skill set he's building in us that we may use for his purposes someday down the road. One woman, one woman wrote this to me. In the pandemic, I have been taking care of my elderly father. I feel God the most when I feel pressed to the limit and I need his help with patience, kindness, perseverance, and having a servant's heart. Those are not things that come naturally to me at times, but I feel him working and know he is refining me during these times, and that makes me feel closer to him. And so God is using this season to grow her faith and character, even as she is loving and serving her father. Those two things have eternal significance. And so she's recognizing that God is with her, even in the midst of daily caregiving. Someone who works in the IT field told me that earlier this year, before the pandemic, he sensed the Lord prompting him to start a prayer call with a couple of other Christ followers he knew were in his company. So it started small, but little by little, colleagues began joining from other locations around the country, Miami, San Francisco, and even from as far away as China. And soon the group grow, grew to over 50, with some of the participants being seekers and people from other faith backgrounds. Well, then the pandemic hit, and suddenly the need for connection, for perspective, was stronger than ever. And so the group has doubled and more in size. He says, 
I'm still not sure exactly what I've started. It's totally a God thing. Folks wanted to see each other, so we've turned on our webcams, and it's amazing to see the diversity. We have women and men, interns and vice presidents, co-workers in finance, legal, engineering, marketing, manufacturing, and facilities, co-workers from across the U.S., the U.K., Germany, Australia, and China who join each week. We aim to bring a calm presence to our chaotic workplace. We support each other when co-workers lose grandparents, get cancer diagnoses, get passed over for promotions, have friends going through divorces, and when the nine to five feels overwhelming or like drudgery. In the last month, HR officially recognized the group as an employee resource group. And it's all because I took a small step of faith and brought myself and my faith to work. And then he adds in parentheses, I'm not a pastor, I write code. And aren't we glad? Aren't we glad he's able to do something in that place that no pastor could do? That day he started that group, he had no idea a pandemic was coming or how God would use it. But he believed that God was with him and had put him there for a purpose. And there's a bigger story going on in all of our lives. God is placing us and forming us for his purposes. One commentator writes that the Joseph story is mostly a story about God bringing his plans to fruition through the most devastating of circumstances. And we've seen that in past weeks. But I would add, and through the most mundane circumstances, like the daily grind of work. Well, I pointed out at the beginning of the message that we are coming to you from a different kind of space today, a space that feels a lot less sacred than the places we usually gather for worship on a Sunday. But maybe this space is a lot more sacred than it looks. Maybe the workplace is a place where God is eager to meet us, where he is as available to us in the workplace as he is in places of worship. In fact, maybe our work is a form of worship. So I don't know what your working life looks like these days, but I know you're working at something. And chances are, it feels like a grind sometimes. But what we've discovered here once again in Joseph's story is that God is with us for good, even in the daily grind. If you'd like to talk more about this or about anything, if you'd like someone to pray with you about your work, feel free to reach out to me. Just send me an email, brian at grace.org. I'd love to make a connection. We have a wonderful opportunity right now to invite God into this space, into this time, by gathering around the communion table. So Pastor Jeanette is going to lead us in our time of communion.